Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to continue our great conversation with Jeanette Bronet about the importance of resilience in our personal and professional lives. Jeanette helps leaders and companies rethink performance by asking the right why so that they can lead themselves and their people better and achieve sustainable success. She is passionate about how we can create a culture of care by unlocking what truly drives performance, engagement, and motivation from the inside out. For 15 years, she has coached clients and delivered speeches about how physical health and emotional, social, and mental well-being affect our performance and prevent stress and burnout. She shows how our mindset affects our self-care habits at work and at home and believes that when we leave our humanity at the door, when we go to work, we leave behind our most valuable resource for success. She incorporates her background in integrative nutrition, mindfulness, and hypnotherapy to help people work better by working healthy. She believes that a work culture of care drives happy performance and that investing in people's health at work is the most important foundation for sustainable success, both personal and organizational. Jeanette, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So in our last segment, we started our conversation about resilience, why it's become a much more ubiquitous topic, and some of the different facets of resilience. And I'd love to start the second part of our conversation talking about the role of self-care and mindfulness, which we did touch upon in our last segment. But I do think that framing this as what can we do from a self-care and mindfulness perspective to promote more resilience? I think it's a good way to maybe recap a little bit what we talked about in our last segment. Sure, sure. I think one thing I would like to start out with, when I talk about self-care, I talk about self-commitment, self-awareness, self-responsibility, and self-expression. I don't talk about bubble bath and champagne or yoga and meditation as our self-care only. I think of those things as treats that are lovely and also yoga and meditation might be foundational for us feeling at our best. But that's not, let's not confuse those things with self-care at its core. Because self-care at its core is the relationship we have with ourselves and the value system we have around how important it is for us to take care of our physical, emotional, and mental health. And that is where resilience comes into this because as we talked about in the last segment was that if we don't take care of those things, we are thinking of resilience as just pushing through rather than supporting ourselves in what we need so that we can continue to be engaged, flexible, and adaptable. And, and so I think if we can look at self-care from the perspective of, wait a minute, if I need to think about this relationship that I have with myself as what do I need so that I can keep being present? so that I can keep being mindful about my actions, so that I can keep asking the questions I need to ask, so that I can make the best choices, which is actually really also part of mindfulness. If we are looking at it from that perspective, then I think it already takes a whole new dimension in how we look at self-care. Would you agree? 
I, I was going to say that completely makes sense. And I think is a really great way to, to frame the conversation, you know, and there are a number of things that we can read about or hear about that different organizations like the American Psychological Association, for example, says that people can do to flex that resilience muscle and help themselves to be more resilient. And obviously, when things are going well, it's not that difficult to be resilient. And frankly, in some ways, there really isn't a need to be resilient. It's when we encounter difficult or challenging circumstances that being resilient is the most challenging, but where our ability to be resilient is really being tested. Do you have any thoughts on things that we can do to make ourselves better equipped to handle challenges and to be more resilient? Yes. And there are many different aspects of this. And I think the best way to maybe start by addressing it is the idea of a mother fighting for her kid, right? There's this resilience that comes from love or somebody that needs to save somebody from, from drowning, let's say. Like there's this resilience that comes from being overly focused and really tapping into the core that we are as human beings, which is that we care. So if we look at resilience from the perspective of what we care about, this idea of passion and purpose, I think it starts giving us an idea of what it is that we need as human beings from a self-care perspective to keep feeding and fueling what matters to us. And so one of the things I sometimes do is teach people how to ask the right why, which comes back to how do we ask questions of ourselves so we find the best answers and get unstuck. And it works with why am I doing what I'm doing? What is it I'm trying to achieve? Why does it matter to me? And that helps us find out how to then move forward. And so, for example, if we're looking at self-care from the perspective of, well, if I need to, I don't know, complete a project, we may get frustrated along the way. We may feel that we're lost along the way. We may feel that we're not, we may start arguing that we can't solve it and we're not good enough or whatever it is that we keep doing. And this self-care piece is really that pause that says, wait a minute, I'm getting lost in the narrative that's not serving me. I'm getting lost in fear of not being good enough, which then spikes my anxiety and cortisol levels into I'm not going to make this happen because a lot of times stress doesn't come from what we have to do. It comes from what we believe we won't be able to do. That's a very important point. And I, I think you're absolutely right that I think anxiety and stress comes from a fear of not performing or not doing what you think you need to do. Yes. Yes, very much so. And so if we look at that first and be like, okay, so now let's turn the question upside down, right? And start saying, well, what is it that will help me get through this? What is it that really drives me? Why does this matter to me? And we may immediately first say, well, I just have to get it done. What's, why do you ask me such a silly question? But then it's a fear-based, it's not a desire-based push or move through this project. So it's the, I might not be able to deliver on time or perform. But if we ask ourselves, why is it important for us to perform at our best? Why does this matter on a larger scheme? It's almost like we're taking a more global vision on why this matters to us. Then all of a sudden we get that desire 
to make it happen. Does that make sense? It, it totally makes sense. And I think what you're talking about also is a bigger picture question of, you know, do we know ourselves? Do we know what makes our, ourselves tick? And it's a self-awareness thing. And one of the things I'd like to ask you is, I think self-awareness is a critical part. And you've said this in, in the last segment too, self-awareness is, is key here. And, and I think a lot of people believe that they know themselves and are self-aware. But I think if we really dig deeply into that, that we find that people aren't really at the level of self-awareness as what you're talking about. And frankly, I think self-awareness and self-discovery is a never-ending journey. For those of our listeners out there who are curious and would like to know what you recommend in terms of things they can do along the journey of self-discovery and self-awareness, what would you recommend people do? Not everybody can do well with meditation, but I will say that meditation is a good way to learn to observe our thoughts because that's really what it's about. It's not about getting to this bliss state, which a lot of people think it is, but it's not. Meditation is really more about sitting without being busy, but sitting and really observing the pattern of our thoughts and how we so easily drift off into what might happen or why didn't I do. And that makes us a lot less powerful to solve the problem right at hand, which is essentially what we need to do. So mindfulness is really more about being with what's going on right now rather than the narrative that's going on in our head about what might happen or why didn't I do in the past, right? And so the idea of of using mindfulness to create more self-awareness is to observe our thoughts and observe our habits. So one of the things I, for example, often do when I first start teaching people self-care, which is a relationship with ourselves, but it's also we learn about ourselves, we create more self-knowledge by questioning ourselves with the curious why, not the why did I do this? But rather this, hmm, I wonder why I did that. What was it I was trying to achieve? That's a curious why. We learn more from that. But also the other one, she's like looking at our daily habits and how do they serve us? And so what are some of the things we do every day that either support us or do not support us? And so self-knowledge is very basic and tactical, but it's also a little bit sort of conceptual and non-tangible. So it's two things, right? Because we look at how we show up in the world, that's our habits. And we look at what's driving our choices, that's our self-awareness and our self-knowledge as well. How do you assess when somebody who is on this type of a journey, how would you recommend that they assess when they may need to get, you know, some type of outside counseling or guidance? You know, books I think are always a very interesting way of being on the journey. I've read countless books over the years, as I'm sure many listeners have about different facets of self-development. How do you know when it's time to maybe seek the advice of a professional to help you along your journey? I think when we keep repeating the same story in our head, the same actions, the same unfulfilling daily habits, the same sense of not moving forward because we're just doing what we've always done. It's time to have somebody from the outside look and ask questions of us. 
which is really essentially what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to ask questions so that we can keep growing. I think the idea that you said before is that self-awareness and self-knowledge is something that's always should happen. And I'm not saying should as in, in the normal sense of shoulding here, but should as in if we can focus on that, then we are in flow with a natural state of life. That's the kind of should I mean in this case, not the blaming should, but the the idea that life moves forward. And if we can keep asking questions and keep being curious, we will keep developing self-awareness and self-knowledge. If we can keep observing ourselves and ask questions, not of us, only of ourselves, but also of other people being curious about what they do, what they do, so that they can almost reflect back to us a sense of wondering about what are the right choices for us rather than judging what somebody else might do or judging ourselves, which is even worse sometimes because it really gets us stuck. Those are some of the patterns and habits that we can develop that cause us to continue to grow. And having somebody from the outside say, look, you are stuck in a narrative right now that's not serving you. You are stuck in a story that you're telling yourself about your life or who you are or what's happening. You need to, to look at this with fresh eyes. Then that's a good time to engage with somebody like either a therapist or a coach or, or learning, going into a group where you can learn more mindfulness as, as group practice because you're really... There's no, there's no escape when you're sitting with a group. You have, to, you have to stay. You may get lost in thought still, and nobody can tell if you are, but that's up to you to keep focusing on or training your mind to realize, oh, wait, I just got lost in another thought. Let me just come back and notice my breath. And it's this sense of what do we notice? What are we aware of? And are we willing to let go sometimes of this story that we believe is true? Because we can convince ourselves of anything. That's how visualization works, right? We convince ourselves of whatever reality is. And, and that's how athletes train to beat their own record. They visualize that they've already beaten their own record. So by the time they get there, their bodies think that they've already done it. Well, and I've personally used that, that technique, not a ton, but I've used it at certain times and I have found it to be very effective because especially when you visualize it, it triggers muscle memory. Yes. And that's a very powerful thing. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing about the unconscious mind. It doesn't really, uh, like, and in our mindset in, in general, this is, this is what's crucial to know is that whatever we fantasize about, our bodies don't actually know if that's happening or not. So we can tell ourselves a narrative and we completely believe that that's the truth. Just like what happened to my mother, for example, who ended up in depression and anxiety because of, of her story. That wasn't something she decided to end up in. That was something that her body just sent her hormones and, ner and, and nervous system into such a belief that it became the reality of everything. It became the filter with which she saw the world, but it also became how her hormones reacted. It became how her body reacted to all of this that happened around her. And so if we can use that both to recognize what is the self-talk that we engage with every single day, which is a huge part of self-care, right? Because our self-talk, because part of our self-awareness and self-knowledge, which is, well, am I, am I the inner coach or the inner critic here? Am I the one that's acknowledging how I feel 
accepting the situation for what it is, and then asking, what do I need so that I can? Because that's my triple A, which I think we also talked about in our previous podcast, which was if you acknowledge how you feel, accept the situation for what it is right now, not wishing it was different, or if only so-and-so had did so-and-so, we wouldn't be here now, you're wasting your time. And then saying, well, I acknowledge how this is either a mess right now or how I feel right now, accepting the situation and then asking, what do I need so that I can, or asking that of another. If it's a, it's if a team member, okay, I acknowledge that you're feeling lost right now. Let's accept the fact that you're late on the project. We can't change the fact that you're late, but what do you need so that you can get up to speed? What do you need so that you can finish this faster? Now we're stepping into a place where we're looking at, okay, we're acknowledged, we accept it, and now we're figuring out how to act and move forward. And that's my AAA. And I think it's a nice little tool for really using self-awareness and self-knowledge in a very engaged way, mindfulness in a very engaged way, rather than thinking of it as something that's going off into a different state of mind that we can only do when we have time. No, we can do this all the time. That is a great tool and that's great advice. And I think it's something that our listeners can take forward with them as they develop a framework going forward on all of this. You know, one thing I'm curious about, not to get negative, but you've done a lot of work in this area over the years. And what I'm curious about is whether this is something that everyone can develop skills around, or if you have experienced in your you know, in, in, in your work in this area, have you ever seen folks that just have not been able to make this work because they don't have the right mindset, they get too stuck in the past? I'm just curious what, what your findings have been. Yes, I, I do think there's a lot of people that are resistant because it's safe to feel how we always felt. We know that story. It becomes part of our identity to struggle and suffer. And I'm not saying they're choosing it consciously, but I do think that part of human nature is that it's easier to stay with what we know than moving into the unknown, even if the unknown might be better. And you see it, there was an experiment with mice where they had uh, this group of baby mice being in a box of that was cold, there wasn't enough food, there was no mouse toys or anything. And that was their experience of their first life, their first part of life. And they basically, that, that, that was how, how much life was to them. Then a couple of weeks later, they got moved to the other end of the box where there was a heating lamp, there was plenty of food, there was toys and mouse wheels and all that good stuff. It was basically mouse heaven. And the experiment showed that within a week, all the mice had found their way back to the dark, cold, no like mouse hell that they knew. They had found their way back there. So they were not able to embrace this new environment, even though that was so good, because they didn't know it. They weren't comfortable with it. They didn't know how to act and engage with those new things, even though it was better and more, co- more comfortable. And I think so in, in, in our mindset and in our, in our human nature, that's why it's so hard to change habits. It's partly because they are unconscious. So they're there to serve us so that we don't have to think about every single little thing we do every day. And that's why it's so hard to remember to choose a habit, such as pausing. But it's also that we are so used to the life we know, even if it hurts, 
that's where we're comfortable because that's the resilience that we have learned, right? So some people will argue it's because people don't feel worthy of a living better life. And I think, I don't know that that's true. I find that a little judgmental actually, but I also, and granted I'm judgmental even saying that, but I feel that (laughs) I'm acknowledging that. Um, and, and, And so it's this idea that we're that we're not questioning it. That's judgmental, right? When we're not questioning something, we're just stating it as a fact. So I think it, in this sense that we're looking at and going, what is it really that would help us be comfortable with something new that is uncomfortable when we first start out, even though it's better? And are we able to use resilience to get through the discomfort of more comfort or something new? Because I think we also look at resilience as only getting through the tough stuff. But I think resilience is to be comfortable with discomfort altogether. And that could be the good stuff. Yeah, we're talking about change, really, right? I mean, that's, yes, you know, and, and, you know, change can be for the better. Sometimes change can be for the worse. And we hope that when there's change for what we perceive to be the worse, that it's uh, more of a temporary type of a thing or that it, at least it equalizes out. So in reflecting on your own life, we've, over the past couple of conversations we've had, we've had an inside look into some of the things that you've had to deal with over the course of your life. How has resilience played a role for you? And what are some of the lessons that you have learned along the way? Hmm. What comes up right now for me when you ask that question is I feel like I want to be vulnerable about that because, and I think actually that's part of resilience again, is to embrace our own vulnerability because that's really, again, how we become adaptable, flexible, and, and um, moving forward. I think the, the um, growing up as an only child, having, by the time I was six years old, having almost lost my life three times already. Um, oh my in terms goodness. Of, yeah, I, I almost died at birth. I almost drowned at three and I almost got killed in a car crash at six. So, you know, the story, the, 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 the joke is that I have nine lives and I haven't used all of them yet. <laughs> but uh, since I also almost uh, had a diving accident right before I turned 40. So I still got a little left in me. But it's this idea for me, I think the idea is the desire to want to live and engage and, and be part of something, my curiosity, those things have been what always keeps me moving forward, even when I'm most scared, even when there's a lot of loss. There's been many losses in my life between losing my parents, losing beloved dogs, which is natural because they die of old age, one of them, and the other one of cancer in a, in a very way that I felt helpless. And then also just having gone through my third divorce, which also I was like, well, okay, now I don't want any more loss in my life, but you know, it keeps coming. I lost jobs. I've lost businesses. You know, I think loss has been part of my journey throughout my entire life. And I don't want to give up because I'm still curious. I still believe and I still have a desire to grow, to learn and to, to figure out how to live the best life that I can. You can argue that I haven't been very successful at it, or you can argue that I'm learning a lot. 
<laughs> or both. But but it's this idea, I think, of of um, of looking at what I've been through and looking at really learning what matters to me. So when I was diving, I was diving in the Galapagos, which funnily enough or interestingly enough was also my we call it the divorce trip that was my second husband and I we went on this trip to the Galapagos and really we wanted to discuss our marriage and see if we were going to split up and we went for a dive trip and and we had gone down in the water and that uh, the day before this particular dive trip we had gone down and been surrounded by hammerhead sharks and I was just like I was in heaven I, I was sitting there going thank you thank you thank you because it was just amazing to see these creatures everywhere there were thousands of them and I just sat still in the water holding onto a rock watching them pass by and so the next day I was really excited to go down and I got caught in a current very very strong current and we had been told do not whatever you do do not go to the surface and in that moment, I, my, the, the mouthpiece that I was breathing through had got pulled out of my mouth. And all I wanted to do was either take a breath and I would be gone or go to the surface and I would be gone because I would get thrown on the rocks and probably break my back. And I knew in that moment that I could give up. And then this idea that your life, or at least what's important in your life, flashes in front of your, your eyes. I, I think in that moment... I started screaming. I figured out how to get my mouthpiece back in my mouth. And I started crawling and screaming to get down, back down into the water, which is completely counterintuitive. And I realized in that moment, I'm not screaming because I'm scared. I'm screaming because I want life. And I realized going over that in my head later that we're not motivated by fear. And I think that's what we think that sometimes when, then when we work hard, it's because we're scared of something, but the real motivation in life is really desire. So if we can change our mindset and look at how can I live the best life? How can I perform at my best? And what do I need so I can do that? If we can change that mindset and really be curious about that, I think we can learn how to always feel that resilience of I can get through this and I can figure out how to keep going. That is an amazing story. And I'm going to ask the question that I think a bunch of our listeners are going to have, which is after you experienced that terrifying event, how did that shape the discussions with your then husband from that point forward? Actually, we decided to divorce. We decided to stay friends and family. And as of today, I still know him. And we've been divorced since, what, 20 years now? We still know each other. We're still friends. He still cuts my hair for that matter. He's a hairdresser. But we decided to end our marriage. We decided that we wanted different things. We were not on the same path. And we realized that what mattered to us in our lives were not the same. And so instead of trying to fit into each other's lives, we instead decided to move apart, but still support each other's lives separately. And that was very, um, it was a lovely way of saying goodbye after 10 years of being married. And it was a lovely way of feeling that the love persists, even if something doesn't work. And I think if we can remember that, that we're in the end, 
really matters to us as human beings is the connection we have with other people, which is also why so many people burn out at, at work. It's because they don't feel that they matter. They don't feel they belong. They don't feel they make a difference. And, and they don't have the human connection that we crave and that we long for, which is to, to have these loving, and I'm not saying lovey-dovey and romantic relationships, but love as in this core foundation for what gets us through life. That's a beautiful way of, of stating it. And I think what you just said is very true. And as we wind down, it's hard to believe it's almost that time. Our, our time together is almost over. Knowing what you know now of through life experience, through working, through relationships you've had, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently and that you wish you could tell your younger self? Mm, yes. I wouldn't stick it out for as long as I have. I have thought of resilience as sticking it out because I could. And again, I think it comes from this perspective of, you know, you don't leave your mother in the middle of a depression because you can't. She's still your mother. And since that was what my experience of my life was with, with, a, with her was the, the constant impact of her deep depression into our lives, but you can't leave, right? My, my father could leave, but I couldn't leave. I was the daughter. So that was one thing that this idea that I, you don't leave. And I have done that in my second and third marriage. I stayed because I believed that we could make it work instead of having the conversation earlier on when things weren't working, either how can we make it work or it's time to leave. And I think sometimes we do the same at work. We're scared of change because we don't know what it looks like. And I have been forced into change many more times than I have chosen it myself. And I think that's the courage that I would tell my younger self to have is to have the courage to create change in my life without waiting for it to happen to me. Granted, I learned resilience from having it happen to me, but I think resilience is something we can choose to use when we choose to create change that is scary and uncomfortable and we have no clue what's ahead, but trusting that we can figure it out, keep asking how, what we need so that we can keep going, and be willing to accept the mistakes that we've made and not beat ourselves up over it. Because listen, we make choices based on what we know now. And we can always look back and say, oh, I should have done it differently. I wish I had. But that's back to the AAA. We can't make a change once we've done it. The past is the past. We can accept it and acknowledge what we've learned. So, so I think it's the willingness to go wrong, the willingness to make mistakes and have regrets, but not use the regrets to get us down, but using the regrets to learn something about what we can make different and do differently in the, in the future. Jeanette, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners and where can they find you? My final thought is to not be scared of change, to not fear fear. I know that sounds funny, but I think we sometimes fear fear. I try to avoid it, numb ourselves out from our feelings in general, not avoid to ask how I feel and, and really own how we feel. I think it's really how we grow as human beings. It's how we grow resilience. It's how we grow more loving 
and strong, more open and connected with other people because we don't have to hide. That is my final thought in, in, in really embracing how we feel about something without judging it and without making up a story about it, but just really, this is how I feel right now. What can I do about it? And then they can find me. My blog is pathforlife.com where there's a lot of free content and as well as a free program, 27 Days of Becoming More Mindful About Your Habits and How to Take Better Care of Yourself. I have an online program about how to create more mindfulness, healthy habits, and learn more about what your body and your emotional mental health needs to be at its best, and that's selfnourishment.com. And you can find that from Path Alive as well. It's my online program. And then for corporate workshops, company culture, coaching, and speaking engagements, executive coaching, you can find me at jeannettepony.com. And again, you can get there from Path for Life as well. And of course, LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's LinkedIn and Twitter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it has been such an amazing privilege to have you on the show. I always take so much from our conversations. You are such a wonderful person inside and out. You're brilliant. You're beautiful. Can't wait to have you on the show next time. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you and your courage to really dig into conversations that sometimes can be raw and vulnerable and sometimes can be difficult. And sometimes we have no clue where it's going to lead us and still you take it on and you're just such a leader, fierce leader in this world with insight and brilliance. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And we'll chat soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed our interview with Jeanette Bronet about the importance of resilience. We hope that you will join us for next week's episode. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.